relationship with church gatherings. Now, let me qualify that a little bit as a pastor, because you might be thinking, like, what is he talking about? What I'm talking about is over my journey, over my spiritual journey, there have been times I've really struggled with gathering in certain ways and certain places with other believers for different kinds of gatherings and church services, and other times I can't wait to do it. And I found that it seems to be in the big C church, not just this church, but the, 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 at least the North American church that I'm familiar with, one of two extremes that people fall in when it comes to gatherings. One of them kind of over here is that people just go from gathering to gathering to gathering together concerts and revival meetings and church services and they kind of follow around different speakers and they're, they're always going to something and I, I, I've affectionately started to refer a number of years ago to those type of people as shot in the arm Christians because a number of those kind of people, what I've noticed, not all but some, there isn't really much of a personal relationship there. And some of these people tend to live off the spirituality of others. So their life apart from gatherings kind of is down here, not very close to Jesus. So they keep going back for a bit of a shot in the arm. It's an encouragement. Gathering with others is good. And then there's another extreme over here where there's people who say, I don't need to gather with other people. I've got a relationship with Jesus. That's enough. I have problems with the church. They're all hypocrites, etc., etc., etc. There's probably some hurt there. And they just don't go at all. And, and either extreme, people who are kind of way out here are fairly well convinced that they're in the right place. And as I read through this psalm, I really found these two aspects, gathering and our private relationship with God. So how we grow on our own and how we gather with others. Actually, David brings together. This is one of the few psalms, there's four of them in the Psalms of Ascent that David writes. And as I began to dig a little bit deeper, I found that these two things overlay quite nicely. And David gives us a great picture of why our relationship with God on our own and why gathering with others as we worship God are important and how they connect. And so my hope today is that you will maybe be inspired, maybe learn something, maybe be challenged. If you fall, maybe closer to one of these two extremes. And I found that at first reading, uh, I kind of got a different sense of what it was about. And I really had to look beneath the surface. Because on the surface, and a number of things I read, really pointed towards the city of Jerusalem and Israel itself. And there's lots of teaching on end time stuff about Israel and Jerusalem and its central role. And so we can uh, kind of trick ourselves into thinking that this psalm is all about that. But David's not talking about that at all. And so, you know, there, there's a sense when David eventually, as we read this through, says, pray for Jerusalem. There are those who would take this psalm and say that the modern church, we really need to feed into Israel and pray for Jerusalem. And I think prayer for the world is good. I think prayer for Jerusalem, it's, a, it's a, a place that has incredible conflict. And God still loves Israel, Jewish people. They have a special place. Paul speaks about this in Romans. But I don't think that's the point of this psalm. And as I read it through again and again, I started to have a deeper sense of what I think at least uh, was in David's heart when he wrote it. It's kind of like a movie. You ever watch a movie 
and your first watch, you're like, eh, but people are talking about it. You think, I'll watch it again, and you discover it's, you know, there's more to it than, than you see. You might not like this movie at all. It might not be your cup of tea, but there's a movie that, that was very much that way for me. Um, maybe you know, it's called Napoleon Dynamite. It's kind of this weird, quirky, like, comedy. It came out a number of years ago. First watch, I was like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> and people, I was a youth pastor at the time, and, and the guys, especially the older guys in the youth group, were like, this is the funniest thing ever. So then I watched it a few more times and realized, I think it's pretty funny. It's got some quirky stuff. And so maybe this morning, you're going to need to read through this psalm a few times. Um, we're going to deal with it in chunks, and as we've done in the past few weeks, I'm going to have you read along with me so that we might have it sink into our hearts a little bit more. So uh, we'll start at verse 1 of Psalm 122. You can read along with me on the screen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, and now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. So this is the third song of ascents, and there's some sense of order here that these uh, Israelites, the, the Hebrew people, as they're traveling to Jerusalem from all over Israel and outside, eventually they would come up the hillsides to the hill of Jerusalem, their capital city. And one psalm after the other, there's a different theme. And this one is written by David from the perspective of already having arrived. So he's already there, and he's looking around, and he's describing what he's feeling and seeing. And maybe you've had that. You're going on a long journey, and you're anticipating it, and you can't wait to, to leave. And as you leave and you arrive, there's still more anticipation, because you don't know exactly what your few days or your week is going to be like, but you're really looking forward to it. And that's what David is saying. He says, I'm inside the gates. I'm so excited to be here. And it seems like the purpose of having God's people sing this on the way to the temple is to build up their sense of anticipation too. So they would be singing this song as if they've already arrived. They're working into their hearts this excitement. To Israel, to the Hebrew people, Jerusalem's a big deal. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up or you know, write an email in from online uh, how important Ottawa and the people and the things that happen there are Ottawa, capital city of Canada. Some of us, you know, it really matters to us. Others don't want anything to do with the, the, the city, the people, the stuff that goes on there. But for Israel, Jerusalem was a big deal, this capital city. It's where the king dwelt. It's eventually where the temple would be. Now, when David's writing this, the temple is not there. It's still a tabernacle that's moving. And over David's life, Time, the tabernacle moves in a few different places. Most often it's just outside uh, the city or pretty close, sometimes kind of in the, inside the walls, but it doesn't matter for the sake of this psalm. The people are coming to Jerusalem and they're going to spend time in the tabernacle or in future years in the temple worshiping God together. So it seems like he's excited about something, but I don't think that something is the city itself. Because what we need to understand about Jerusalem is it's their political capital, it's their religious capital. Everything in life had to do with Jerusalem, revolved around that. Remember, these psalms are written because the people were expected to travel, right? They're expected to travel and go to Jerusalem. It's part of their calendar year. 
So the capital city, the king, the calendar, all of these things surround themselves and, and are focused on Jerusalem. So is David really excited about Jerusalem? No, I don't think so, because he says, I'm here, I'm excited about the house of the Lord. He has gladness. Okay, I was glad when they said, we're going to go to the house of the Lord. That seems to be his focus, even though he's inside Jerusalem. So whether the tabernacle or temple is inside Jerusalem or just to the side, that's where they're staying. That's where all the people are. His excitement is to be with God and be with God's people for a period of time where politics, their calendar, what they're doing, all the compartments of their life come under God for a season of time. And he's excited about that. In fact, I think his desire is that that would just be, uh, you know, kind of zoomed in on how the rest of their life should be. And so David is excited about that. His focus is on the house of the Lord, on spending time with God and spending time with God's people as they spend time with God in all aspects of life, that they'd all be centered on God, not Jerusalem, not his tabernacle, not his temple. These things are centered on God. Verse 3. Read it with me. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. So once he's standing in the gates, he remembers some of the qualities about the city that he loves so much. It's kind of like if you've moved away from your hometown. So remember your hometown where you grew up. And imagine traveling back there. And as you travel those roads to get back there, you start to have memories. You, you don't have memories about the buildings. You might envision them. But it's the people and the things that happen. And as he arrives, he's, he's recounting about the city and its structure. But really what he's talking about is the experience there, what he's looking forward to. And you and I, we have the same thing. We, we go back to our hometown or we go to somewhere meaningful. We think of what it means to us. And we're remembering it. And so David's having people sing this on their pilgrimage to spark those memories of how good it is to gather in the house of the Lord, how good it is to go to Jerusalem. Now, there is a word play here in Hebrew where uh, he links two things together. And so it says, Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. So the walls in the city, it's, it's united together. The walls are seamless. There's no cracks. It's built very well. It's connected in. And then he says, all the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. And so he's saying the same thing. He's saying, just as Jerusalem is built together and united together, so God's people are coming. All the tribes, all the people from all these different places, because we're knit together. We're built together too. And he's looking for this time where the people will actually mirror the city they're in. The way it's built and connected with purpose, the way it works, the way it's all designed to give glory to God and center their lives around a relationship with God, so too God's people are supposed to be that way. And so David is excited about that. There's supposed to be a unity there. And if we fast forward this principle to New Testament times, to our times, where there is not unity in the church, something's off. Something's missing. We are missing something when we're not all connected and unified. And if that's the case, we need to do some work to fix that. And there's a lot 
in the New Testament that speaks to that. Not only the principle of unity and of being together, but of how to create that and keep that. David then talks about the requirements. He says, um, as the law requires of Israel. It's interesting he says that, isn't it? Because he says, look, everyone is coming. It seems like his language so far, he's glad to come. And then he, he pops that one out and says, you're required to do this. So imagine singing that, right? You're supposed to have the gladness and can't wait to go to Jerusalem as the law requires. It doesn't have much of a, much of a sense of feeling. But when you read deeper into the way he speaks, it seems like David has been able to move beyond duty. David moved beyond duty to devotion. And so he's saying to people, hey, look, this is prescribed. Okay, you're supposed to do this. And you have a choice. And I will guarantee, I'll guarantee that there are people on that pilgrimage who would sing years and years after that where they load up the mules and the cart and they get the food together and they've got whoever taking care of their animals back, you know, on their farm or wherever they live, the blacksmith shop, whatever they're doing, and they've got everything taken care of and they throw it together and they travel and they listen to other people sing and they just get there and they're like, oh, man, when can we go home? I got stuff to do. Why would God expect me to do this again and again? And the feeling is this. God must really need worship. Look, he's prescribing that all his people come to this tabernacle, this temple, this city, at least once a year. And there's at least three major festivals in the Hebrew calendar where it seems that people would travel. Three main ones at least, and there's a whole bunch of others where they might. So at least once a year they would have to do that. And the sense is God must be really egotistical and really need or worship. He, he, he tells you you must gather so that he gets his worship for him. And there's definitely a sense that there are people who feel it's a duty. But for David, he moved past that, and he saw the reality. What, what could God possibly want in telling us that it's good to gather together? And for the Hebrew people, it's required. What could he possibly get out of that? Well, there's glory, there's worship, but I think it's more of a gift. I think David had figured out that this whole gathering thing is actually for us. That's actually for us. And once we experience the goodness of being in close relationship with God and the goodness of being connected to others we can journey with, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem is, is really an illustration of a pilgrimage through life with others where we encourage. We say it like this, people helping people follow Jesus. The, the New Testament says it in the Great Commission. Go into all nations and you know, introduce them to Jesus, preach Jesus, teach them and baptize them, help one another obey, bring all sorts of people and keep doing it, but keep coming together. We need each other. And so David had figured out that this isn't duty. There's, there's a gift here in gathering. And then he talks about judgment. What a weird thing. Can you go back one slide? We'll go look at that verse again. Uh, here stand the thrones where judgment is given. What, it's such a weird thing, because he's talking about, you know, we're all coming together, it's going to be a great thing, and you have to, and the judgment thrones are there. So come into our city, and maybe you'll be judged. It's, it's an odd thing. But what I think he's doing is he's bringing all these aspects of life together under the, the lordship, the kindness, and the love of God. 
So yes, that's the city where the king lives. That's where the king gives out judgment. But where the king judges on his own behalf apart from God, the nation will go sideways. The thrones and the dynasty of David, it's meant that men and women in that city would have hearts after God so that the politics and the culture and the religion and every part of it moves together in harmony towards God. And then he comes to verse 6. Starts out with prayer. Read it with me. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. Which is a great thing. And I, I, So I, I don't disagree with those who read this verse and encourage us to pray for peace in Jerusalem now. They need peace. We know that Jerusalem has a place in the end times. There are different opinions about what we should do about Israel and Jerusalem and all that. Not going to get into that today. But the principle is this. Why would David have his first readers and singers, the people reading and singing this, why would he encourage them to pray for peace and prosperity? That's a really important question. When we're looking at Scripture and trying to dig beneath the surface, we should always ask, what would the author want the first listeners, the first readers to understand? Because that's the first and most important meaning, and we get all our principles from that. I think he's asking them to pray for peace and prosperity so that they can keep having festivals. There's a purpose to gathering all of God's people in one place for a period of time to focus their lives on God. And in a time of war, in a time of persecution, in the times when they're carried away into exile, they can't do that. They don't do that. And so David is saying, pray for peace so that we can keep doing this. Pray for prosperity that we'd be able to do the things we're still doing. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is, God, we have this op awesome opportunity to be able to gather in the way we do now. So pray that God will allow us to continue this. Now, I've heard this statement uh, lots, and I used to say it, actually. Um, it would be better for us in North America if we had some persecution. It would really help us as a church. It would help us grow. And I used to believe that until I consider what persecution does, right? You can't gather. Other things you can't help. Bless the poor. You, you can't uh, preach. You can't reach neighbors. There's a lot of things you can't do. Why does persecution create strong believers? Because the ones who are strong before the persecution, who already have strong roots in God, he enables and strengthens in ways they weren't before. Those who are on the fence, who are weak, usually fall away and say, Whoa, I'm good with Jesus when I could just kind of go about my day. But if you're going to tell me that I have to give my life for him, I'm out. So we shouldn't be praying for persecution. We should be thankful for a time of peace. Because what can we do right now? doesn't matter if it's COVID or not. We can share with one another. We can help one another follow Jesus. We can tell others about Jesus. We can give money in here so that we can bless places like Indwell and invite our neighborhood in. We can do vacation Bible camp unhindered. There's no one at the door policing what I'm saying or, you know, anything like that. This is a time of peace. It's good. We should pray that we can keep doing this. But there's a catch. There's a catch, isn't there? Times of comfort and peace, guess what they lead to? Laziness, complacency, 
I'm comfortable. I don't need to do that. Why should I have to really grow in Jesus? Why bother going to church or joining a small group or doing any of this stuff? I don't really need it. It's not helping me at all. You know what happened to David when he did that? Okay, there was this time. There was a season during the year. I can't imagine having a season. Like, I like Christmas season. I like Easter season. Love summer season. So there's like weather seasons and there's cultural seasons. They had a season when the kings go out to war. So in a season when the kings go out to war, instead of David leading his people, so the king, the leader, was to be in front. An example for everyone of how to follow God, of how to trust them in faith, and when they are protecting Israel. Remember, Israel can't take land. They simply protect their borders. When the kings were out protecting their borders, he was to be there. But he was in this time of comfort and prosperity. The thing he's praying for right here in this season, earlier in his life, pray for prosperity, pray for peace, God granted. He built this wonderful kingdom under him. God blessed David. Instead of being out with the his army, instead of doing what he's supposed to do, instead of following God, he's up on his rooftop, relaxing. Happens to see a woman bathing. And from there, his whole life changes. When we are comfortable, we can get complacent. We can allow doubt, which is healthy, doubting and questions and working through our faith to work itself up into deception and wandering. And so, we're to pray for peace, but we need to be careful that these times of peace and prosperity don't turn into times of comfort, of doubting, of wandering. Because when times of trial come, that's why the Bible says again and again, be thankful for trials. You're not thankful for the trial. You're thankful for the opportunity to put your faith in action in a way you haven't before. In times of peace and prosperity, what are we supposed to do? What did David do up to this time? He spent time alone with God. He got close to God's heart. He gathered with others. He moved the nation towards God. And he continued to do that. And then we come to the conclusion, verse 8 and 9. Read it with me. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. He's repeating what he's already said. He's praying for balance and blessing. He's saying, look, I'm going to pray for my families and friends that we have this sense of peace that we can all keep coming here. I'm going to pray for Jerusalem that it keeps standing and we have a place to come. I'm going to keep doing this because there's importance of this balance. There's importance in gathering. So what do we do with all this? Because if we just read this psalm at surface level, there's not too much about, you know, I talked in the beginning about our relationship with God growing on our own, and then there's gathering with others. Seems like this whole psalm is talking about gathering with others. But I think there's two things going on here. We do have this sense of where we're at individually, growing on our own, and there is a gathering. Why do I say that? Because David wrote this psalm on his own with God. He wrote this from a heart that was close to God's. In fact, in Acts chapter 13, David is called a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the Psalms, or at least a good number of them. We see in their poetry and songs of deep devotion. He had moved, I've already said, from duty to devotion. He'd been through a lot, and he had a heart after God, man. He, he loved God. And so it's important that we do that. And so my question to you is simple. Is your heart drawing nearer to God's? 
is your heart drawing near to God's? Underneath this whole psalm is that. His heart was close to God. His excitement of getting in the gates to Jerusalem was to be with all these other people, first and foremost, because he's close to God. And he wants to share with others who are close to God, or at least encourage those who aren't, in a period of time, maybe, maybe a weekend, maybe a week, let's all get together, let's worship, let's teach, let's challenge one another, and then let's go back home with the support we need to go through life. We're going to come back again. It's not a shot in the arm. It's part of the rhythm of life. We need each other, and we need time alone with God. And so then there is this other sense of gathering with others to worship God. David loved to gather with others. We all know this. Why? Because we all, well, most of us, introverts, I'll talk to you in a minute, okay? Most people love to gather in a crowd for a common focus. That's why you go to a concert. You're all there to see the band. That's why you go to a hockey game. You're all there to see your team win and the other lose. That's why you go to festivals and big family reunions and anything where you have a gathering of people who are focused on one purpose, one thing, that we do that. We get excited. We're all there together. It does something for you when you're in a crowd. Absolutely. It's different than a mob who's, you know, all chaotic and doing their own thing. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to go to, like, <laughs> uh, if, if you're traveling. I think Niagara Falls, to me, I see pictures of Niagara Falls on a busy day right now and, and, uh, and that hill, Clifton Hill, and it's like wall-to-wall people. And I'm thinking, not me. <laughs> no, thank you. It's, it's busy, and it's a crowd, and they're not gathered for one purpose. They're just there. It's just busy. But when you gather with a crowd for a common purpose, it does something to you. When you mobilize people to something, that's why there's rallies and teaching, and that's why I think God has built that in. And David is encouraging people, go at least once a year. There's something to this, to realize that your relationship with God is connected to others in a deep way. There's a harmony here. There's a harmony. So, this is regardless of whether you're an introvert and an extrovert. Introverts will tend to, I'm more of, I'm, so just to tell you a bit about me, I am an extroverted introvert. Okay? So I'm extroverted when I need to be. I like being around people, but I recharge by being alone. Sometimes I get home, like VBC this week, every day I was just, you know, Steph, just need a few minutes away. I'm just going to kind of do my thing for a bit. Need to recharge. I like to get up early in the morning. I like to spend time with God on my own. I love Bible studies and teaching and being with others, but I recharge there. I'm an extrovert introvert. I need to hold in balance the importance of gathering with others and growing on my own. If you're an extrovert, maybe you're more about the, man, I can't be silent. I find it really hard to be still and take time with God. And it is. All of us are created different, but we need these two things held in balance. And the struggle between what you're most comfortable with is one of the main ways God wants you to grow. So there's a harmony here. This was most evident in COVID, wasn't it? What was the debate? Debate in COVID was, should we gather? Is gathering important? So I'm going to give you my opinion. All right? This is my opinion. I believe we need to gather. I don't think we need to gather in person. All right? So I've made everyone angry and everyone happy at once. Okay? I think it's important to gather. I don't think we need to gather in person. Here's why I say that. For years before 
COVID. I was gathering on Zoom and other platforms for deeply spiritual things. When I went on a sabbatical a number of years ago, I had a spiritual director who was in Manitoba. I met with her once a month at least. And I still remember those times fondly. They profoundly changed me. A number of years ago, I started a mentoring uh, program called Church Renewal. A lot of what we have in this church is a result of my time in Church Renewal. I still meet, not for the summer, but during kind of a ministry season, every Wednesday at 11.30 for an hour with pastors across the country. It's centralized in Manitoba. I've been doing that for about eight years. Eight years, and I've gotten to know some of these other pastors and leaders and walk through tough things, learn things, and it's been deeply and spiritually important for me. There are things you can do better in person. It's better, isn't it? But it's not necessary. And so I encourage those who are watching online, maybe you're not comfortable coming out yet. That's okay. Thank you for coming in person. But let me make some qualifying statements. The screen and the stage are the same. The screen and the stage are the same. I'll explain again. There's lots of explaining today. Before COVID, I would watch as a pastor as certain people would come in. And they would sit in service. They'd come now and then, sometimes on a rhythm, sometimes not. And to my perspective, it looked as if they were watching what was going on on the stage. And they weren't getting connected with it, weren't particularly moved, weren't really participating. Uh, they'd watch what goes on on stage and weren't joining a small group or serving or anything. Listen, you don't have to be in a small group. You don't have to serve at this church to be a healthy Christian. What you need is connection to others in gathering and in large groups and small groups. And if you have that without the programs we provide so that it's organized and simple, wonderful. If you don't have it at all, something's missing. We need to be serving. Those are healthy. What we do here is to try and build those healthy parts of growing into the fabric of what we do. If I tried to teach at one of each one of you on a weekly basis, come over to your house, I, I couldn't keep up. So we get organized. We say at 10 in the morning on Sundays is a good day. That's when we worship. Gather here, and this is what we'll do. You can be online or here. So there's something to gathering, but getting connected and being moved. So there are people who would come in, and usually they'd come in with Starbucks or Tim Hortons 15 minutes late, sit down, leave five minutes early, and I couldn't really tell whether they were growing spiritually or not. But Jesus says to judge a tree by its fruit. And it didn't seem by the fruit of their life or their Facebook profiles and stuff that there was much growth going on. I think growing on our own and gathering together is important. But even those who gather in person can become comfortable and complacent and apathetic. I am not talking about struggles. I'm not talking about those who are wrestling through their faith. That's healthy. I'm talking about those who are kind of shut down and just going through the motions. The same way I talked about you know, maybe the, the father who would gr begrudgingly pack the mule to go to Jerusalem and couldn't wait till he get home to finish his work. Same idea. Screen. COVID hit. And there are those who watched the screen and didn't participate much. Watch now and then. And when we give opportunity to connect online in some sort of way, because we need to gather and talk about things and pray for one another or do outdoor services or whatever we could. People didn't 
do it. There are people who didn't do that. And the same values, the same behavior, the same outcome in some people's lives, whether they're watching the screen or the stage, are well, the same. I don't think it matters. I think it matters what you do with what you've got and who you are. If you're convinced of something and you're growing and you're, you're growing in God and you're gathering with others, I think that's a healthy thing. There is a difference, okay? There's a difference between being distant, I'm not going to connect with other people, I, you know, I don't need that, and being distanced. So there's my take on COVID. <laughs> if you want to chat after, <laughs> go for it. I'd love to hear your opinion. But that's my take as a pastor here. Does it matter if we gather? Yes. Do we need to gather in a physical building? No. They had a tabernacle. And there were years they didn't even have that because of war and all sorts of stuff. But they found ways as a people to come together within God's instructions to encourage one another. People helping people follow Jesus. Here's a crazy thing once we hit New Testament times. We don't have a temple, do we? It was broken and destroyed in AD 70. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear down the temple and build it in three days. And they're thinking, how are you going to tear down this beautiful temple that's built? Jesus and rebuild it. And he was talking about his body and the church and what it would be rebuilt in. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, we live in them and walk among them. I will be the God and they will be my people. That's from Leviticus 26.12, Ezekiel 37. 27. So God all along was trying to keep people from understanding that he dwells in a building, that we have to go to a building, that the church or his people is about a tabernacle, a temple, or a church building. It's about him and his people. We are the temple. I am the temple because God's spirit lives in me. You are God's temple. If you are a follower of Jesus, his spirit lives in you. Ephesians 2.21 says this, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Sounds a little bit like some mirroring of what David said about how the temples fit and form together and how the people are to fit and form together. And then Paul says, we're carefully joined together. We are becoming a holy temple of the Lord. So as individuals, we're a temple because Lord, the Lord's spirit lives in us. As a people, a church family, we're his temple together. The, the best place I see this in the New Testament, or at least the place that helps me understand this best is from 1 Peter 2.5. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifice that please God. Everything we see in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, the practices, the people, the rhythms, they're all foreshadowing of what's going to happen through Jesus and what happens in the church. We have it all still. God still interacts with us in the same way, a little bit different because Jesus is here, but he's the same God, and we're still his people. And in the same way that David encouraged people to sing this song and be glad to gather, I think the heart of Jesus is that we would find gladness in gathering too, in worshiping, and gladness in that because in our hearts we already have a growing relationship with God on our own. The two are not mutually exclusive. I think we're at our best. I think we're at our best when we are helping other people 
follow Jesus. I think we're at our best when we're helping other people follow Jesus. So if, you, if you're really uh, more kind of a, uh, an introspective, introverted person, you're really about spiritual disciplines and you love quiet and stillness and you're growing in the Lord, but you're not so much into gathering with others. And you come in and out of services or you gather, you know, you watch online, but you're not really connected to other believers. You're living half the Christian life. It's half. You're half there. If you come to gatherings, maybe you go to concerts and revival services and all sorts of stuff, but you're not spending time with God on your own. You're with people all the time, but you're really not growing on your own. You're living half the Christian life. We can't be a follower of Jesus without Jesus' people. We just can't. We can't be a follower of Jesus without Jesus. <laughs> what we do on Sunday mornings is not about like hearing great worship. And we have great worship. It's not about having our kids in a good children's program. We have a good children's program. It's not about any of these things. Good small groups, great outreach, drop-ins, all this stuff. Those are all good things. But ultimately, they are to help us follow God when we're scattered and we come together and gather so we can be encouraged to go back out. There's a rhythm to it. There's a sending and a welcoming all the time. We're at our best when we are people helping people follow Jesus. So here, here's what I want to invite you to do this summer. Each week I've tried to say something more to build upon. And in the beginning it was be honest with where you're at with God. And if you're struggling, if you're distant from him, that's okay. Just be honest and go to him. And last week, where's your help coming from? Okay, if you are distant, what are you looking for in life to help you? Is it, is it something you can accomplish or is it God? Are you help from the mountains or the self-help things or any of this? Or is it God? And, and this week, I want to encourage you uh, to, to take two steps, okay? Two steps. I want you to take one step closer to Jesus and one step closer to his people. Let me explain what I mean. One step closer to Jesus might look like this. You start quiet time. Simply. In your own way. Ask for help. Maybe not having time alone with God. Just start it. Maybe you do spend time alone with God. Deepen it. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Start. Learn. We'll help you. Come to the prayer walk. That's a great way to learn to pray. If you are a person of prayer... Deepen that. That's a few things you can do. Maybe another thing is to memorize scripture. That's a deep spiritual practice. God's word is in our heart. What if there's someday we don't have apps and physical Bibles? What are you going to do? Memorize. If you already memorize, memorize more. Take a step closer to Jesus in your relationship. Spend time with him. Maybe you spend one time a day. Consider spending more. Invite him into the rest of your day and see if that one step might make a difference. So one step closer to Jesus, one step closer to his people. If you're not connected with anyone, take opportunity. Here's a simple thing. Come to service a little bit early. Walk across the room. <laughs> Talk to someone you don't know. I'm not going to put people on the spot here, but there are some people here who are amazing at that. I watch you. It's awesome. I can't even get to newer people most Sundays because you're all talking and visiting. And, and I want us to continue to move past a warm smile and, and a hearty handshake to welcoming people into our hearts. And, and so that's one step. Come a little early. Stay a little late. Invite someone over. Invite someone out. Okay. 
open a bag of chips with some lemonade on a back porch. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't want to clean your house? Go for a coffee. Set up a play date with kids. Get to know someone. Join a small group once they're up and running again in the fall. That's a great thing to do. Get involved. Volunteer someone so you're working, uh, serve with someone. So you're working side by side. Vacation Bible camps, awesome for that. Do you, do you know who puts us to shame? Church about being excited about being here and being involved and gathering? It's our preteens and teens. Like, when I hear our preteens and teens coming in for like practices or getting ready for VBC or youth or they're helping downstairs and they're squealing as they come in and they're causing a lot of havoc and it's, it's mayhem and they're hugging and they're glad to be here. I'm like, that, like that's the thing, right? Because for me, this is the place that I fit where I didn't fit anywhere else. That's what David's talking about. Keep gathering together because we need to find our fit here, especially if we don't fit anywhere else. Take one step closer to other people. Come early. Stay late. Join a small group. Go for coffee. Do something, anything to develop some relationships. That's the one thing as a pastor I, I wish I could do. I wish I could build relationship and friendship between you all. I can't do that. Uh, uh, Andy Stanley is a pastor of the States, and he, uh, I love what he says. He says, you know, as a pastor, I can set up dates between you and Jesus. You have to show up, <laughs> and you have to engage. I can set up dates between you and others. You have to show up, and you have to want to engage. I, I can't, can't make it happen. But my hope is this summer, we take one step closer to Jesus, right? One step closer to each other. And that we would say, like David... I had so much gladness when I was getting ready to go to the house of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord? It's any time two or three are gathered, Jesus said, in my name. Any time you're going to get together with others who follow Jesus, there should be some sense of gladness because of the bond you have in your heart because of Jesus. Take one step closer to Jesus and one step closer to his people this summer. Would you stand as we pray and are dismissed? God, I, I, I want to just thank you um, for giving me some of this insight, things I didn't see at first or second read uh, in a psalm that I really struggled with. <laughs> a psalm that seemed to me, God, just to talk about the greatness of Jerusalem and how maybe as a North American church we should feed into that or pray into that. Thank you for helping me see uh, that there's a, a deeper connection here in David's heart. And I pray for each one of us watching or gathered that you would help us have in this season of peace and blessing the balance of intentionally taking steps towards you to grow and intentionally taking steps towards others to be connected. May we find belonging here. May we continue to become more like you, Jesus, so that we might fulfill to greater measure the calling you've given on us in our community and in our world. Lord, with these summer projects, I pray that uh, you would so encourage us as a church family to get behind them as a way that we can connect and, and make a difference with this um, summer hangout and our indwell hampers. Lord, it's just such a privilege to be at this church, God, and I pray that we'd all have gladness as we gather together. Give us a wonderful week. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.